Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer for iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? It's time for the tech news for April 7th, 2022. Let's get into it. Here in the United States, the White House, which for those of you outside the U.S., isn't just the reference for you know, the place where the president lives. It's actually shorthand for the U.S. president and their advisors. Uh, the White House has urged U.S. lawmakers to expedite legislation that will provide aid to the semiconductor industry here in the states. Both the Senate and the House, the two branches of Congress, have approved separate plans to provide subsidies and other aid to give semiconductor production companies here in America a boost but the two plans take slightly different approaches, and so before things can move any further, the two branches of Congress have to reconcile those plans into a single approach, which then can be voted upon and sent up to the president to sign into law. The White House indicated that this should be a top priority for Congress as the ongoing semiconductor shortage continues to cause massive economic harm. 
Uh, Brian Deese, the National Economic Council director at the White House, says that estimates suggest the semiconductor shortage here in the U.S. shaved off a full percentage point off the nation's gross domestic product, or GDP. Now, 1% might not sound like a whole lot, right? I mean, it's just a single percentage point. But just wait. Uh, And in case it's been a while since you've studied economics, the gross domestic product of a country is the total value of goods produced and services provided in a year. So you take all of that, all the goods and services that are sold and uh, provided over a full year, you add it all up, you got your GDP. For the United States, the GDP in 2021 was $23 trillion. So a single percentage point is equivalent to $230 billion. That is mind-boggling to me. And if those estimates are accurate, it really underlines how important it is to address this semiconductor supply chain issue. The White House also stressed that semiconductors are important not just for consumer goods that range from phones to vehicles, but they also play a crucial role in the U.S.'s technological strategy, including national security. The White House also pointed out how the U.S. used to be a major producer of semiconductors, being responsible for 40% of all chips produced in the world back in 1990. Today, that number is down to 12%. Will Congress put together a plan that will help turn all that around? Well, we'll keep an eye on it and report as we learn more. Earlier this year, we heard that Meta slash Facebook was pulling the plug on its DM cryptocurrency, formerly known as Libra. So DM was supposed to launch a couple of years ago, back in 2020, but a combination of factors, largely dealing with concern from various government regulators, and then you had a whole bunch of partners in the project bailing on it once they saw that governments were potentially opposing this or going to highly regulate it. And a lot of companies said, you know what? No, I'm good. I'm out. And they ended up killing off the project as a result. However, the dream of a meta-based digital currency remains. Now, I don't think it should come as a surprise that that's the case, because meta's long-term goal is to become the primary portal into whatever the metaverse ends up being. Clearly, Meta has a vested interest in dominating as much of that ecosystem as possible, including the method of exchange that people will depend upon in order to access virtual goods and services, or perhaps even real goods and services that you order through the virtual environment. Meta employees refer to the virtual currency proposal as Zuckbucks, named after Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg. Unlike DM, which was to be a cryptocurrency built on a special blockchain, and I say special because uh, only partners in the endeavor would have access to it. Uh, so like the big companies behind it would have the the uh, supervision of the blockchain, but the rest of us peons wouldn't. Anyway, the Zuckbucks are more likely to be a simple digital currency or token with no blockchain backing. So if you're an Xbox fan, and you've been an Xbox fan for a while, you might remember that in the old days you would purchase Microsoft points, which you could then redeem to buy digital copies of games and other virtual goods, such as avatar options for your Xbox profile. And if you do remember those days, you probably also remember that the number of points you could buy per given amount of money 
was usually a quantity that would not align precisely with the number of points you needed in order to trade in for a game. For example, you might be able to buy 400 or 800 points. Like, let's say if you spend 10 bucks, you get 400 points and 20 bucks, you get 800 points. But you might see a game that is sold for 600 points and you can't buy just 600. It's either 400 or 800. This is the classic hot dogs come in, you know, in 10 and hot dog buns come in eight kind of situation. Maybe I have that backwards. But anyway, you got it. Like in order for the things to equal out, you have to buy multiples. And folks did not like that system. And to be clear, we have seen the same sort of stuff employed elsewhere. I mean, Disney did it with Disney dollars. So it may very well be that Zuck Bucks are kind of similar to those earlier examples. Uh, There'll be tokens that you'll be able to purchase stuff in Metaverse or in platform or whatever. The Verge reports that this does not mean that Meta has abandoned blockchain altogether. The company is exploring how to interface with NFTs. Yay. And just a quick reminder on what those are. NFT stands for non-fungible token, and uh, it's essentially a digital marker or certificate that indicates that you have ownership over some digital asset. Uh, An example might be an instance of a particular digital drawing. Your NFT shows that you own that particular instance of the digital drawing. I usually say it's kind of like having a receipt, but you don't have the physical thing that the receipt represents. Anyway, it's interesting to me that Facebook is moving ahead with this as NFTs, I think, peaked more than a year ago. And the general feeling I get, and I I know anecdotal evidence is worthless, but the general feeling I get is that a lot of folks have kind of soured on NFTs, largely because there was such crazy speculation in the early days, coupled with con artists who were running NFT scams, and it really soured people on the whole thing. One more quick meta-related item. Mark Zuckerberg sat down for an interview on the Tim Ferriss show recently and revealed that some employees at Meta have a cute pet name for him, the Eye of Sauron. Now, I don't expect all of y'all to be fully versed in the Lord of the Rings mythology. I mean, I have a Lord of the Rings tattoo on my left arm, but that's just me. Anyway, Sauron in the Middle-earth mythology is the big bad who way before the Lord of the Rings story was defeated in battle, his physical form was destroyed, but he still existed, right? His physical form was gone, but the essence of of Sauron remained and would sometimes manifest as this enormous eye that can see across all of Middle-earth. And if the eye falls on you, then it means Sauron is watching you and bad things are likely to happen to you. So my interpretation of this pet name is that employees at Meta really hope that they can do all their work without catching Zuckerberg's attention. And that if he should see what you're working on, chances are your life is about to get a whole lot more complicated. Uh, Now granted, this is my interpretation and perhaps I'm well off the mark, pun intended, but I can't imagine a world where being called Eye of Sauron is a good thing. The Wall Street Journal reports that Google has pulled several apps, dozens of them in fact, after researchers from UC Berkeley and University of Calgary showed that the apps contained code that would pull personal information from users, including stuff like the user's phone number, email address, and precise location. It was harvesting personal data, this code. And the code came from a single source, according to the researchers, a company called Measurement Systems, which may have ties to a defense contractor company in Virginia, which is something that Measurement Systems uh, vehemently denies. 
Now, obviously, the idea that the company was purposefully introducing covert surveillance code in what appeared to be innocent apps, ranging from weather apps to QR scanner apps to even prayer apps, that can get a bit big brotherish. Apparently, the company told developers that it was primarily interested in user data on people from Central and Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. As the researchers noted, the type of info collected could end up putting people in danger. I mean, just imagine a political activist or maybe a journalist who has one of these apps installed on their device. Uh, measurement systems or perhaps one of its clients could potentially track that person simply by looking up their phone number or email address and then looking over their location history. Measurement Systems issued a statement denying the Wall Street Journal piece, claiming the company has no knowledge of this defense contractor that was cited in the, in the article. And whether that's true or not, Google did take steps to pull the associated apps out of its app store. We have several more news items to go over, but before we get to that, let's take a quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Apple Insider reports that Apple is testing a feature with developers that would allow those developers to administer price hikes on in-app subscriptions without first getting users' permission to do so. The standard Apple policy is that if an app developer decides to raise subscription prices, the information is sent out as a notification to users who can then either agree to the new price and then keep using the app or decline and allow their subscription to lapse. This new approach alerts users, but it doesn't have an agree feature. You're not being asked to agree to the price act. You're being told that the price is going up. And there's a large OK feature that just dismisses the alert. And then there's a much smaller review your subscription or something similar if you want to go and adjust your subscription and cancel it. So in other words, this has gone from an opt-in approach where the user agrees to pay the higher price to an opt-out approach where the user has to purposefully navigate through the system to cancel their subscription if they don't want to spend that much per month. Disney Plus has already made use of this feature, alerting users to increase prices without giving an obvious way to decline and cancel the subscription. And so far, this feature has only been rolled out to a few developers like Disney. And obviously, switching from an opt-in model to an opt-out model will likely mean a big boost in user retention because fewer people will actually go through the trouble to take the necessary steps to cancel if it's more than just a single button push, which gets pretty insidious in my opinion. Recently, I talked about how Microsoft Browser Edge scooched ahead of Apple's Safari on the desktop browser market share, not in mobile, but on desktops. And I mentioned that one reason that may have contributed to that was that for a while, Microsoft made it pretty darn hard to switch to a different default browser than Edge if you were on a Windows 11 machine. Microsoft then issued an update to Windows 11 that simplified the process, but the update is an optional update. Now, the fact that it is optional and not listed as something, you know, more urgent has upset other browser companies. So the concern is that less savvy users won't have the competency to seek out and install an optional update, and that Microsoft's solution to the problem wasn't really to address the underlying issue, but rather to skirt criticisms that the company was behaving in an anti-competitive way. Folks who know Microsoft's history in general, especially when it comes to web browsers, might get the feeling that history is repeating itself. Uh, the company faced antitrust lawsuits a few decades ago on a similar issue, and it sounds like at least some folks are suggesting 
it may soon again face similar antitrust uh, lawsuits, including ones in the EU. Meanwhile, IBM has been hit with a lawsuit that claims the company shifted numbers around on its revenue reports in an effort to boost the company's stock price and executive bonuses. And this, I guess you could argue this is tangential to tech, but I think it's important that we recognize when companies do this. And here's what the lawsuit says happened. IBM took revenue that came from its non-strategic businesses, primarily a mainframe business, and then shifted that revenue so that it instead on paper appeared to come from business divisions that the company had identified as being strategic or crucial. Those businesses are cloud, analytics, mobile, social media, and security, which collectively are called CAMS, C-A-M-S-S. Executive bonuses tied into CAMS revenue, at least until 2019, but it did not tie into non-strategic businesses. And the whole idea was that the strategic businesses were the ones that are critical for IBM's growth and success. That, in other words, if the company's doing well in those divisions, then it is performing well according to the views of the stock market and that uh, the company is succeeding. But if it were just making money in other businesses that are not considered strategic, like there's no way to easily grow that or develop it into uh, more sophisticated businesses, then that that's not really a, a marker of success. This is because we frequently define success as growth, not revenue, right? Revenue is important, but it's not as important as growing the business. So. That's what it came down to. And the idea here is that the CAMS businesses were not performing to the level that IBM wanted. So they just quietly started shifting money around so that this non-strategic stuff would be put into strategic businesses. Uh, and thus, e executives would end up raking in huge bonuses and the stock market price would uh, improve, right? It would, it would go up because the company looks like it's doing great. But according to this lawsuit, that was all a ruse, um, at least until 2019, when the company shifted its formula to depend on total IBM revenue when it comes to executive bonuses. So part of the uh, lawsuit also says that IBM ended up laying off thousands of account executives and shifting higher level executives around in an effort to kind of obfuscate what had happened. Uh, again, this is all according to the lawsuit. Obviously, IBM will have its own uh, response to this. We'll have to wait and see what happens. And it may take a while before the whole story comes out. And in fact, it may never come out. This might be one of those matters where the parties settle out of court and they do it on the hush-hush and we never really learn more about it. But yeah, sounds pretty questionable to me. Twitter has changed up how it treats embedded tweets, which has caused a big stir in the online community. Uh, let's break this down really quickly. So you probably are aware that you can embed a specific tweet into a web page. And news outlets do this all the time, right? They'll do a story about something, and then you'll scroll down through the story and you'll see a bunch of embedded tweets that relate to the story. I had this happen to me with a goofy tweet I made once. I can't even remember what it was. I just remember out of nowhere, my notifications exploded because some some publication somewhere pulled one of my tweets out of context and put it up on an article. Anyway, you probably also know it's possible to delete a tweet. But until recently, embedded tweets were not affected if the original tweet was deleted. So if I posted something and someone embedded my tweet in their article, and then I went on and deleted my tweet, the embedded tweet would still be there. 
That's no longer the case. Twitter has now changed it so that a JavaScript will cover up the contents of a Twitter message that has been deleted and and hide it. So now there's a concern that the historical record can't be preserved because if someone just goes in and starts deleting their their Twitter messages, then it's going to disappear everywhere, not just on Twitter, but anywhere where the tweet was embedded. So it'll probably take a little bit to see how this shakes out, but the early response has been uh, very critical, let's say. And finally, a hacker managed to compromise the Vivo-based YouTube accounts of several notable celebrities in music. Uh, they included Justin Bieber, uh, Lil Nas X, The Weeknd, and Harry Styles, among many others. The hacker then uploaded videos arguing for the release of Paco Sanz, a guy who received a two-year jail sentence because he scammed people out of money after he lied that he had terminal cancer. Vivo acknowledged that, quote, some videos were directly uploaded to a small number of Vivo artist channels earlier today by an unauthorized source, end quote. Now, the company also stated it was reviewing its security practices to make certain something like this does not happen again. And in case you weren't aware, Vivo serves as a type of go-between that sits between musical artists or their labels and YouTube. And Vivo handles official music video uploads, and then those uploads can appear on an artist's own YouTube channel as if they themselves had uploaded it directly to YouTube. So it does look like these instances indicate that the security breach was on Vivo's side not YouTube's. That's it for the tech news for Thursday, April 7th, 2022. As always, if you have suggestions for topics I should cover on Tech Stuff, reach out to me on Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.